Hey, do me a favor, uh, grab a Bible and get with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at a portion of the Christmas story this morning. So get with me to Luke chapter 1. And the Bibles that we have here in baskets is on page 830, 830. I'm going to read from the story, I'm going to read the story, and then I'll pray, and we'll get to work. All right, Luke 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would speak to us. We're grateful that as a church family, we can come together and worship, and now we're turning our attention to your word, God. Would you please speak to us? Help us to think about the sending of your son. Help us to think about the incredible announcement that this event was for her and for us today. God, would you help us to be your people, to trust in your son? We pray in his name. Amen. All right, we're going to look at this in three headings. We're going to look at this idea of the announcement of Christ. We want to ask, who receives this kind of news? And then we want to ask, what is the news exactly? And then finally, how do we respond to it? So the first thing is, who receives this news? And what we find from our story is it's not the kind of people that we would anticipate. If you were thinking about a king showing up, if you were thinking about the arrival of a king, most of us would probably assume he's going to show up in a place of prominence, that he's going to show up in a palace with affluent people and people surrounding him. But instead, we find him being announced and proclaimed to this little girl in a town called Nazareth. And so we see it here in our story where it says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So the question is, what kind of people receive the gift of God? What kind of individuals would receive the favor and the blessing of God? Now, my kids right now, they are in love with Christmas. And we've got all of our presents under the tree uh, that, that my wife has wrapped. She's part elf, and so she does the little swatches of tree, the tree thing and the ribbons and all of that. And my kids just kind of hover toward it. It's like a little magnet for them. And a couple days ago, we said, hey, guys, uh, what, what if you opened a gift from each other? And so they got to unwrap the present and, um, you know, whoa, this is awesome. They got so excited. And then they turned and they looked at the tree and they're like, there's more. And so from that point forward, every day they're wondering, what do I need to do in order to open more gifts? So Reese wakes up, what was it, yesterday morning? And she goes, oh, I'm just feeling, 
I'm feeling so strongly that I need to open a present. And, she's t- and we tell her, look, here, we walk her through the next few days. Okay, here's where we're going. Here's the opportunities that we're going to have. And we talk her through it. And then, then she begins to ask follow-up questions because what she really wants is to figure out, what do I need to do to get these gifts? And the question that we have this morning is, what do we need to do to be the kind of people who would receive the gift that God has given in his son? And we see here in our story that it is this girl from a town called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is a small community. And, and um, it's scoffed at. I know what that feels like because we grew up in Rockton, Illinois, and that meant that we, my brothers and I, we went to Sherland School, and that fed into Hananiga. Hananiga is a big high school there in Rockton, but we went to Sherland. And so when you're at Hananiga and people ask you, hey, what school did you go to? Sherland was this little farm community, and the classes were, you know, 20 kids or whatever, and you knew everybody in the school, K to 8, you knew all the teachers, you knew everybody's business. So when you tell somebody at Hananiga, we went to Sherland, they'd laugh at you, and they'd make fun of you, and they'd say, whoa, did you drive your tractor to school? And, and things like that. And we'd be like, no, but I could have if I wanted to. But, but they would make fun of it. And the same was true of Nazareth. The people would look at that town, and they'd look at it as this it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of an insignificant town. In fact, in John chapter 1, when people were commenting on Nazareth, do you know what they said? They said, Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? They were looking at this town and they're saying, this is an insignificant place. And that's a weird thing then for God to target that place as the location where his son is going to be born. But he, he's sending this favor and this grace out in this direction to this girl. She's a virgin. She's... she's pledged to be married to Joseph, but she's not yet wed. And so she's explaining, do you have this wrong? In fact, she's wondering at this greeting. She's like, are you sure that you're in the right place? Are you sure that you've landed at the right household? Because I I don't know why you're telling me that the favor of God is targeted in my direction. Here's what we find out then. We find out that God favors the lowly, that he sends his affections, his unmerited grace on people who you would think aren't the ones who normally receive it. We, we, all, we often think that the successful, the affluent, the, the prominent people, we look at them and we go, that's really what we want in life. But what we find in the story is we find that God sends his grace and his favor to people who are unlikely. And we might even say it like this. I'm not sure who to attribute it to, but grace flows downhill. And in this story, as Mary's reflecting on the fact that the angel's telling her over and over again, you found favor with God. What she's learning is that God exalts the lowly, that he is delighted to show his blessing to those who are humble. And again, this just runs so countercultural to everything that we're familiar with. We think that life is all about being successful and it's all about working hard and it's all about looking like you've got it all put together. And then we Instagram our lives. We we try to show people the hashtag blessed life and, and we're trying to show people we've got it all figured out. But this story tells us a different narrative that God's grace comes to those who are broken and needy, those who are, from the worldly point of view, insignificant, and God's grace flows to those who are humble. And that's good news for us because that means that any of us in here are capable of lowering ourselves and receiving God's goodness. Mary, when she reflects on this, she actually breaks into a song. It's the next little section over, but she begins to sing about her experience. And what does she say? She talks about the fact that God he, he humbles those who are proud, but he elevates those who are humble. Look at it in verses 52 and 53. The Lord has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, 
but has lifted the humble. As she thinks about her experience, what is she singing about? God blesses those who are humble. That's good news. At least it has been for me. The last few months have been incredibly hard. I think the starting of this campus and the amount of work that's gone into it, the fact that we are a baby church, that we haven't been around for forever, and we're trying to establish different things, teams and systems and all of that, it's been, it's been hard work. It's been a lot of work. And I've, I've personally been experiencing some things that I'm not familiar with, this brokenness and, and, and just concern and anxiety and all of that. And this week, as I'm looking at this, I'm being reminded, you know what? I'm kind of I'm happy to be in a situation like I'm in because God's grace flows downhill. And, and there's a need in my own heart to be reminded of the Christmas story over and over and over again that, that it is okay to be needy, that it is okay to feel like you don't have it figured out, that it's okay to be in a place where you can't pull it off in your own strength. And I'm feeling that way this, this Christmas season as I'm thinking about our church, and, and, I, and I'm actually kind of happy that we don't have it all dialed in. That there, the last service, I did about seven things that weren't supposed to happen in the service. When I was supposed to do the, um, the love offering thing, I lost my notes, and I just, I heard them, hey, guy, hey, guy, like, get back here, and I just ran away. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we're in a season in the life of our church where it just feels weird and, and, and broken from, from my point of view. And the reason why I'm okay with that is because that puts us in a place of humility, that I feel this desperation for God. And what does he do here in our story? He shows up on the doorstep of those who are needy. And this is good news for me, and I think it's good news for all of us, because here's what we need to do. We need to get low. We need to humble ourselves and recognize our dependence on God. Let's not pretend that we have it all figured out. Let's not pretend that we want to be okay. Let's be okay with not being okay. And let's trust that God is going to shower his favor on us because we're such needy people. So Christianity, the message of Christmas is really about humility. St. Augustine, I love how he put it. He was describing the essentials of Christianity. He said there are three parts. Here's what they are. Part one, humility. Part two, humility. Part three, humility. That's something that all of us can embrace this season. We can, we can just say, we're going to try to get as low as we can. We're going to be as humble as we can. And we're going to trust that God's goodness is going to target us because we are getting low. So that's, who, that's the kind of people who experience the goodness of God and this incredible news. But what is the news? The news is, is the message that God is going to give. And, and he, he delivers this news through an angel to this young woman named Mary. Um, I was thinking about it. I, I love the NBA. I love watching the NBA, but this season of life has been so busy that I think I've only watched one or two games all year. But what I do is when the kids go to bed and when Ash goes to bed, I'll get on my phone and I'll start reading about the games, which is kind of, it's a boring way, right? To think, to do basketball, you read about the games and look at the stats and everything. But I'm reading about these games because I'm curious, I'm interested in the sport itself. So I begin to read it and and I guess what I'm saying is we should be the kind of people who are so eager to encounter the news of what God has done that we're just looking for moments to just kind of snatch them away and try to encounter that news. That we are just trying to figure out, if everyone goes to bed, could I just have 10 minutes where I think about this incredible story that God has brought about? And so we should be people who love this news, but let's look at it here, verses 31 and following. The angel says to her, you will be with son, and you will give him the name Jesus, and he will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom 
will never end. We're being told here that Jesus is coming and what he's going to do is he's fulfilling all kinds of Old Testament expectations. A lot of us kind of, if we've been around church and we've been around during Christmas season, we hear stories like this. We've heard this read before. A lot of us will kind of blow by this and not really realize how much is freighted in those few verses. Um, other than like Dwight, who has an Old Testament degree, most of us would go through there and we go, oh, this is just the Christmas story. But this is loaded with all of these Old Testament realities that, that the angel is saying, this son who's going to be born is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament had in store. And he, he's indirectly quoting 2 Samuel 7 and Deuteronomy. And what he's doing is he's showing that Jesus, when he shows up, he is the culmination of all of these promises that have been given throughout the scriptures. Now, I'm going to just go on a hobby horse for a minute here because this is something I feel passionate about and I feel like it's a part of my personal ministry. I hope that you guys will actually read the Old Testament. I, I know that might be a weird ambition for a pastor, but my desire is that you would actually read the Old Testament. Jesus is not at odds with the Old Testament. This story reminds us that his very arrival is the fulfillment of these Old Testament categories. And, and I think it's very popular nowadays for Christians to say, I stay away from that Old Testament stuff. And I really like Jesus and I really like the New Testament, but that Old Testament stuff, that stuff is weird. And I just don't read it and I don't want anything to do with it. And it's kind of spooky and God seems angry and all of that. But the truth is, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And these promises that were given, he shows up and he's showing us that that he is that reality that the Old Testament is pointing toward. And so, man, if, I think it's a mistaken notion to dismiss the Old Testament. Um, and and I, as a pastor, I just want to help you guys to think through how fundamental it is. I, I was thinking about it this way. My wife, Ashley, if I told her, I don't want to know anything about you prior to when I showed up on the timeline. Like, I don't care about your upbringing. I don't care about how your family raised you. I don't care about your, your, family, your friends when you were growing up. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to know about us. I want to know about us right now. Wouldn't it be a mistaken notion to think that I could love her appropriately if I dismissed her past? In the same way, when we say we want Jesus, but we don't want the Old Testament, what are we doing? We're dismissing all of this information about him. If you want to love Christ and love, love him even more, read about him in the Old Testament. That's the end of my hobby horse. I'll move on now. But let me just encourage you, please read the Old Testament. It's about three quarters of what God has said. So we see here that the angel is telling the news and it is the news of Jesus Christ. And he's being described then in a variety of ways. But one of the things that it says is that he will be called Jesus. And that name itself means salvation. We're told in other places in the Bible that Jesus, that name means salvation. So, so this son who's about to be born is the Savior. He is the one who is going to save people. Now here's, let me just very briefly give you the Bible story, story of history, and the story of your life. Here's how it goes. God made humanity in his image, and humanity turns away from God. Humanity, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they turn away from God, they rebel against him, and every one of us ever since have been doing the same thing. We turn away from God, we're made by him for his glory, we're made to enjoy him, and we don't do that. We dismiss him. We pretend like we're God and we make our own choices and we're very dismissive of God and that's called sin. And God in love devised a plan where he was going to bring us back to himself. And the way that he was going to do that is by sending his very own son. And that son lived a perfect life, obedient at every point. 
that he did everything exactly the way that it would look to, to live out this life of righteousness. And then surprisingly, Jesus laid down his life for sinners. He was, he was willing to say, I will pay the penalty for sin and I will gift my per- perfect righteousness to those who don't deserve it. It'll be a gracious interaction, a gracious exchange where he pays the way for sinners and he gifts his, purchase, his perfect righteousness to those who don't deserve it. And that's the message of the Bible. And just to make sure that we don't think it's just a fairy tale, when he died, he came back from the dead. And then he ascended to glory and he said, I'm coming back. And that's what we're waiting on right now today for his return. But that's the storyline. He's the savior. He's the one who lived perfectly and died in the place of people like me. So he's our savior. And I hope that everyone in here would trust in him as Lord and Savior. We're told too by the angel that he will be great, that he is great, that he's incredible, that if we understood him rightly, we would know him to be the greatest thing ever. That he's not just something that we tack on to our already busy lives and we go, hey, I've got my life going and I just want to add him in. When we realize who he is, we call him a treasure. And we say our entire existence is going to revolve around him and what he's done because of his greatness. And we know that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord because he's the center of everything. He's holding all things together. He is the creator of all things. He's the son of God. He's the treasure. And so we want to honor him as such. And the angel informs us that's who he is. He is the great one. He's the son of the most high. We're told that he's both the son of God, he's fully divine, but he's also a human, that he's fully human as well. And that makes him perfectly suited to to do the ministry that he did. He understands us. He understands the human condition fully. He embraced it. He knows what it's like to be rejected and slighted. He knows what it's like to be tired and and hangry. He knows what it's like to be in a season of despair. He knows what it's like to be rejected by all of his friends and abandoned in his greatest moment of need. He is the son of the most high God. And he's also king. We're told here that he will rule on the throne of David forever, that he is a king. And, And so You know, everyone was waiting for the king to show up and march into Jerusalem and set up shop, but he did not do that. He won people to himself and to his kingdom with humility and service and love. And he he didn't establish his kingship in its fullness during that first season when he was here, but he is returning and he will show us that he is king of the earth. And so we have this message then that really is phenomenal. It's about Jesus and it's about what he has come to do. It's about his ministry of salvation. It's about the fact that he is the great one and he is the king of the world. And as a church, we exist to help people embrace that. We're doing a Christmas service today and tomorrow. We're doing our Christmas Eve service so that anyone who wants to can come in here and hear the message of salvation. And we exist because that message is so profound and so true that it could change a life for all of eternity. And we want to make that available to as many as possible. So we have this message that the angel gave us. So how do we respond to it? How do we respond to this incredible message of salvation? Well, let's look at Mary and how she responds. In verse 34, she says to the angel, how will this be? Mary asked, since I'm a virgin. She hears that message and she can't wrap her head around it. I don't even get it. How could that be? I'm a virgin. I've not slept with anyone. How can I have a child? And, let, and how, let alone, how could that child be the son of God? She wonders at the incredible message that she's been given. And one of the things that I want to say to us is it is entirely appropriate to wonder. It's entirely appropriate to hear all of the promises that God has given us 
and to just feel a little bit overwhelmed by it. Like, this is a mystery. This is, this is breathtaking. I don't, I don't understand all of the details of it. I don't understand fully how this works, but, but man, I, I, I'm just curious about it. It's okay to wonder in that regard. But, but there's another individual from the story, Zechariah, and that was the episode that we looked at last week where his question wasn't appropriate because he wasn't just wondering at how it was going to work. He was saying, yeah, right. My wife's going to have a kid. Have you seen how old she is? And he reveals unbelief, whereas Mary reveals that she just doesn't know how it works, but she still trusts. And so we want to create space for people to wonder at God, to, to wrestle with some of the big faith claims that we make as Christians. In fact, we're creating some environments for people to do that. We're going to do a public forum where we do several different talks here in the auditorium for people who aren't Christians yet, and we tell them, here's what Christianity is about. And we understand some of the hang-ups that people have. So we're going to present the message, and they're going to be able to ask questions about it. And we're going to do Alpha again, because Alpha is a platform for people to examine the Christian faith and to have questions and wrestle with those. And we've got to create space for that. We don't just want to tell people what they should believe. I did student ministry for a decade, and one of the things that I learned from doing that was that you cannot tell kids what they ought to believe. You can't just say, think this way because I said so. Because as soon as you're not around telling them how to think, they're going to have big questions. So you got to give people space to wonder at God and how he works. And that's what Mary's doing here. She's wondering, how will this be? And I wonder if a part of the reason why she's wondering is because this changes everything. Can you imagine being a teenager and being told you're going to have God's son? You're about to be married, but this changes everything. Can you imagine what it's like to be a new parent raising the, the son of God? If, if those of you that are parents, you remember what it was like to have your first kid? It was frightening. You're, you get this little baby and you go, how do you hold this thing without their head falling off? And then you look around and you go, there are so many tragic things around here. My kid could die if I don't pay attention. And I remember when Reese was a little baby and Ash was holding her in her arm just right here and she's holding there and, you know, I'm kind of, you know, six foot one, bigger dude and I'm just kind of klutzy and, and I remember like turning and elbowing Reese in her head. I'm like, I killed my daughter, right? And I freaked out and she was fine, but as a new parent, you just kind of, you're scared about everything. You're concerned about everything and you got to imagine for Mary to hear, you're going to have a child and that child is going to be the son of God. There's got to be a weight to that that overwhelms her. And I'm sure that's a part of why she's so confused and taken aback by the whole thing. But the other thing that I just find phenomenal about this story is that God entrusts the most precious gift ever to a teenager. Think about that. I mean, do you let your, you, most of us don't even let our teenagers like have keys to the car or anything that's valuable. But God says, look, I'm going to give you this incredible responsibility. He's entrusting her with the promised Messiah. Isn't that wild? But that's kind of what God does. He looks at us and he goes, I'm not just going to, this is just what I do. I just entrust people with this incredible gift of ministry and the gospel. And he looks at people like you and me and he says, hey, you're an ordinary Christian. I'm going to give you the gospel message. This could change somebody's eternity. And most of us go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Like, isn't there somebody else, like Bible training, like they got more things going on, they're more talented and gifted, and God goes, no, you can have this, and I want you to hang on to it, and I want you to share it. And that's what God is doing with us. That's what he does with Christians. You guys, if you're a believer, you've been entrusted with the gospel message, and God gives you that, that authority to go in his name and make known this incredible message of salvation. 
It's overwhelming, but it's a beautiful thing that God does. So Mary wonders at all of this. She wonders at how it could be so. And, and then what do we find happen? God doesn't scold her for questioning. He patiently interacts with her. Look at this in verses 35 and following. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. What does God do when we think through, okay, how does this work in my life? What does he do? He doesn't say, come on, get with the program. Just kind of figure this thing out and get after it. No, what does he do? He draws our attention to himself. We feel overwhelmed and we feel like, man, how how are we going to do this? And God says, look at me. Look at my power on display. It's not going to ultimately depend on your giftedness or your ability. I'm the one who's going to accomplish this. And that's what we need to hear this morning, that God is saying, I'm calling you to a significant ministry if you're a believer, and I'm going to see it through. My Holy Spirit is going to accomplish what I intend to do through you. And that's such an important thing. We need to be reminded over and over again of God's power to work through ordinary people like us. And then he draws attention to the relative who's also expecting. And God is saying, look, I can do this for her. I can also do it for you. And what we need then is to just constantly come together as a church and go, okay, we're here and we know God is calling us to reach our community and and our families and we're overwhelmed by the task. What are we going to do when we gather together? Well, let's look at God and his power and let's remind each other of how God has already worked. And let's rehearse to ourselves God's power through ordinary people like you and I. And that's what he does for Mary here. He responds with patience and he draws her attention to himself. So how do we respond to this incredible message? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to place your faith in it. I want you to trust in that message of salvation. I want you to respond by surrendering your life entirely to Christ. And that's exactly what Mary does here in verse 38. She says, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. When she looks at the huge task in front of her, and this incredible promise that God is given, giving to her. She says, I'm in. I don't know exactly how this is going to work. I know it's going to affect everything about my existence, but I'm in. May it be to me as you have said. And I hope that everyone in here, hearing the message that God gives us at Christmas time, that he's sending his son as a savior, that all of us in here would say, I don't totally get it. I don't know all that this is going to entail. I, don't, I can't even imagine how my life might change, but I am in. I'm trusting in him. I'm believing in him. I'm placing my life in his hands. May it be to me as you have said. I hope that everyone in here is able to say that this morning, that you look at Christ and what he's done for us and you say, I trust you. I trust you. I'm the Lord's servant. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and I'm going to give us just a moment of quietness to reflect on that. Every Christmas season, we get to hear a message like this, but we want to make sure that we take a moment just to reflect on, have you surrendered to Christ? So let's bow our heads in prayer, and I'll give you a moment, and then I'll pray. Lord, what an awesome promise. A promise that is hard to comprehend even a promise that has so many details to it because it's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. There's so much there. 
Lord, we, may we never get tired of looking at the scriptures and seeing our Savior there. And Lord, this Christmas, as we're going through all the busyness of the next few days, would you help us to just stop and think about this beautiful announcement, this beautiful son that you sent. Help us to trust in him. Help us to surrender to him. Help us to love him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.